power in the name of Jesus. Is it just the J-E-S-U-S word? Not really. People use that in a lot of different ways, sometimes not so nicely. As a curse word, as those things are. The name of Jesus is in his character, in his nature, in his person, what he did in the cross. And then as we've been going through a lot of stuff recently, his teachings, his word. He, the Bible says he is God's word. He is the word. At the same time, we have the Bible, and all this stuff in the Bible is actually a part of who God is, and Jesus came and showed us that, but he also taught that. We've been uh, looking at those things. We've been looking at some of the teachings of Jesus recently, and this idea as we walk in a world that's chaotic, and as we sang about this morning, the chaos and the different things that go on, the pain and the hurt, we have the teachings of Jesus that can come in and bring two things. can bring great comfort and great peace, but they can also really challenge us. Um, We've uh, been working in the Sermon on the Mount, and that's probably way too small for you to see. Eh, Don't worry about it. Um, And we finished the first section, which is chapter 5. It's kind of, it's all one thing, it's all one big sermon, but like in any other thing, Jesus actually was going somewhere when he was teaching these things. And that first section... He, uh, we looked at, he, he, he told us how we should live, how people who are his followers should live, and that was the Beatitudes. And then he told us uh, that we're to be salt in life, we're to be different and illuminate the pathway to him for others, and that, that was in there. And then we also spent some time, a long time, looking at, he told us that we were to apply the heart and the intent of the law rather than just seeking, what's the minimum thing I can get away with? What's the minimum thing that God wants from me? And then as, as last week we looked at, his teaching culminated in the statement, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. And if you remember, that's a statement, how in the world do you do that? But we spent time last week talking about, remember, he used, as your Father is perfect. When we come to Christ for forgiveness of sin, we're his children. His DNA, the Father, God's DNA, runs through us. His very spirit resides within us, and that enables us to love and to act and to walk the way God does. It's a big ask, but he's put right within us in our our new nature, in the spirit of God, the ability to be able to do that with his help. Now the next section we jump into, um, again, you say, well, Jesus has already done it, but it it addresses again how we live. We say, well, he already told us how to live. He continues to expand upon these things and look at different parts of our lives. Um, and actually, there's two things he's going to look at here in this next section, which basically is most of chapter 6 in the uh, Sermon on the Mount in Matthew. He, he addresses how we're supposed to live in our practical, everyday lives. The things that are just seem to be mundane and just seem to be there, he addresses what our attitude should be. Because yes, it really does matter what you do in your normal, everyday lives. What sometimes we think are very unspiritual that we have to do, that are part of being a human being in the world today. But it does matter how you walk that out. And he also addresses a second thing, which is how we walk out, and I'm going to use a term, and a lot of you are going to like cringe at it and say, how we walk out our, our religious and our worship practices and our spiritual life. Because immediately we would say, wait a minute, there really is no separation between just walking out practical things in life and the spiritual. It's all supposed to be all done for him. And that's exactly the thing there. But Jesus, knowing human beings, knew that we would have a tendency to categorize those things and he addresses both of them. Because it really does matter how and what we do, spiritually speaking, as we seek to please God, as we seek to see what he wants us to do and what makes him pleased and is a blessing to him. It really matters 
what we do, how we do it, and he also addresses why we do it. Okay? Now, the other thing that's interesting, too, is that these things that he's saying are like a mirror from which we can see ourselves. Um, this, the passages that we'll be going through over the next few weeks will shed light on our inner lives, what's going on inside. Um, it'll show the contents of our heart. It will, it will shine a flashlight on the deepest parts of your heart about what's really going on there, what you think and what you feel. But the key thing from you and I is we must be humble enough to welcome that kind of probing from God because it can be very uncomfortable. And there's a reason it's in the deepest recesses of our heart because a lot of times we want to keep that stuff down there and we don't let anybody see that and we don't even like to look at it ourselves. But Jesus goes to the deepest part of our heart. Now, there's a lot of things we've talked about before. We desperately need God to show us what's in our heart because the Bible tells us that we can't trust our own read on our heart. It says in, uh, back in Jeremiah, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure, humanly speaking. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind to reward each person according to their conduct, according to what their deeds deserve. And Jeremiah you know, is, is recording what God showed him and saying, you can't trust your heart, especially when you try to evaluate it. We need God to search that. Um, how about this one? And you say, well, how do we do that? This one goes on and says, the word of God is alive and active. In Hebrew, it's sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing a soul and spirit, joint and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. The word of God is given to us to actually go and shine light and actually separate what's going on in our heart, its motivations, and what our real condition is that's going on there. And then James says this, Do not merely listen to the word, and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard but doing it, they'll be blessed in what they do. It's not enough for you to come and hear the word. It's not even enough for you to read the word on your own. The bottom line, it's meant to be a mirror and something that shows you what's there, that directs your actions and what you're supposed to do. And James speaks to that. The question this morning is, will you and I humble ourselves? Will we humbly come to God and ask him to show us if there's anything in our heart that needs correction? Is there any attitude that's out of place or any motivation? <clears throat> David wrote this in the Psalms. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. We're going to spend a few seconds of quiet right here now because that's it. We can go on and have a message <clears throat> that talks about what Jesus is saying, but if we have not prepared our hearts and we don't have the heart that David had, which is begging God to search me and show me what's in there, and give me solutions to that or what you would have. So I want to encourage you to just quiet your heart before the Lord right now for a few minutes, just in a few minutes of silence, and just ask God to come in and do that very thing. Invite his presence to come.
Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning. I do, even though I've studied this already, again, fresh, even as I'm preaching. Come and search my heart. Show me what's in there. Show me the true motivations. Don't let me fool myself or convince myself of what's there or gloss over what's there. Lay that bare so it can be dealt with by you. I pray that your word, your truth, would pierce our hearts. Send your spirit to dwell amongst us this morning as it already has been here, but even now, doing what the, what the, what the spirit does is to illuminate and show what's there and to instruct us as to what to do about that. We invite your presence in that way. Humble ourselves. Humble us. Help us to continue to have a soft heart that's open to what you want to do. In Jesus' name, amen. So, at the beginning of chapter 6, Jesus gives the next overarching principle. The first one is be perfect as my Father is perfect, which he said at the end of the first section. But then he leads the next section and says, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. And then there's going to be an example of that, which we'll look at in a second. But he starts by saying, be careful. Jesus wouldn't tell us to be careful unless there was a need to be careful because there's potential dangers and potential pitfalls he's going to talk about next or in that statement. So he tells us to be careful. He tells us, pay attention to what I'm saying. He says, be really cautious about this thing I'm going to tell you. He, apply yourself to it. But what is the this part of it? And he warned us to be careful about practicing our righteous acts to be seen by others. He says, be careful to not practice your righteous acts before others. So what is he talking about, about righteous acts? Because if we're, we can get into this and think about righteousness and righteous acts as being something we got our heads snooted in the air and I'm just doing all these great things. And, and actually, that's what we do because when I stick my head up, it's like, look at me for what I'm doing. But it doesn't mean that those righteous acts themselves are wrong. Actually, the idea of righteous acts here is anything that we do to help people. Anything that you and I do to help people. Giving of our time to help somebody. Using the skills that, that we've acquired in life, that God's placed there, to help people. Using the abilities that are God-given to help people. Giving attention to people. Giving our talent and our skills to people. Giving money to people. Giving material possessions to people. They're allowing them and sharing them with them. Anything, anything you do, anything I do, to help people, to help them in a situation when they have a need. Okay? Actually, and I don't develop it in this message, but there is a devotional on the information table, in the information center in the back, that talks, one of the, it's twofold, we're going to talk about rewards in a minute in a second, but we're also talking about this idea that you and I, you know you were created for? You were created for those righteous acts. God created me and you, bring, redeems us to him, and, that, and the scripture actually says that we are created to do good things. But what's our motivation? What's our motivation when we act to meet the needs of others? Because that's a dumb question. If I'm meeting the needs of others, oh, of course I'm doing it to serve them, and it's because of God and it's a pure motivation. I would remind us, that Jesus warned us, and the Scripture warns us, and God tells us you can't trust your heart. 
You can't jump to those kinds of conclusions because our hearts are desperately wicked and are always trying to make ourselves look better than we really are. We can easily convince ourselves that our intents are noble. And after all, we would say, we're sacrificing. I'm giving up stuff of mine to help somebody else. That's a noble thing. But what about these things? I'll throw a couple examples out here, and I, I, apologize. No, I, don't. Yeah, I guess I should apologize, whatever. It may be hard to hear. But what about, you know, that, that big photo op? The big, big check photo op. You know what I'm talking about. You probably get a picture of mine where somebody stand, two people stand behind that big giant check which says, you know, to all those things there. Or, or how about this one? Um, if you uh, give so much, you get your name on one of those little uh, stepping stones or, or on the plaque on the front of the thing there because of what you gave. Those are nothing more than a worldly marketing, marketing ploy that goes to a good cause. I am not saying that the, good cause, that the good cause is wrong, or even giving to it is wrong, but the photo op, or having to have your name attached to it, is exactly what Jesus is talking about. Don't do your righteous things to be seen by others. Those photo ops are to coax people into doing good by giving them a reward of being recognized. You say, well, that's, I just, you test that. Why else would we do those things? It's to coax people into giving a certain thing so that, and the reward is that they will have recognition. How about this one? Oftentimes we do good and we meet the needs of people so that people will speak well of us, that they'll think well of us, or that they'll respect us. And then we can even justify it with this. If I do those things, after all, you know what it's actually going to do? It's going to provide a platform from which we can minister and speak. We are really good at taking these things and, and, saying, and justifying all that's going on inside of us because it's going to, it's going to further the cause of Christ if, if, if I'm recognized and people think well of me. And it will also, will also we always justify, it'll move other people to do the same thing if, uh, if I do it for that reason. We often find ourselves doing things for other people to please them so that they'll have a good opinion of us, so that they'll like us, and so that they'll say good things about us. Do you know what that really is? Self-gratification. It is selfishness in disguise. It's all, it's all about what other people think about me. And you say, wait, wait a minute though, but I want other people to think about me so that they'll do this. No, realistically, whenever we're worried about what other people think about us, humanistically speaking, it's a selfish thing. It puts the focus back on us. You and I are in great danger of doing those things, and that why, that's why Jesus said, be careful not to do your righteous acts to be seen by men, because it is an inherent trait that is human, and it doesn't go away just because we ask Jesus in our heart. We just change the language sometimes and find ways to justify it for the cause of Christ. Okay? Let's talk for a second about rewards. Because he said you won't have rewards. What about rewards? Did you know that rewards are actually biblical? We would say, you know, as good Christians, 
I would never be motivated by rewards. And we would say we shouldn't be motivated by rewards. Well, I want to back off and let's wrestle with that in a minute. What are rewards? They're biblical. That word reward there. A wage is a reward. Doing things for hire. Reward. Um, something that's given back in return for what is done. And, and I know that we can get into what we would call works religion in the midst of this and all these things there and all that. But you can't get past that. You say, well, wait a minute. Well, prove it to me that rewards are biblical. Let's take a look at a couple of scriptures. How about in Ephesians, which we actually read this morning in Sunday school? Look. Or this is Revelation. I'm sorry. We'll start with Revelation. This is at the very end. Jesus, one of the final things that he says in, the, in, in John's Revelation. Look, I'm coming soon. My reward is with me, and I will give to each person according to what they have d- done. That's a reward. And Jesus actually wants us to know that when he comes back, he brings reward with him and gives it to people according to what they've done. How about this passage in, in Ephesians? Because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do. That word good that we do are righteous acts. It links right together with Matthew, the Matthew passage, what Jesus said. Because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do. And then in Hebrews, by faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. You might be willing to admit that rewards are biblical, we'd be rewarded, but you say we should never do anything because we're going to be rewarded, but yet Moses is lifted up in the, in the hall of faith, this, the, the, this thing where these, these powerful men of God and women of God in Hebrews, and it says he did these things because he was looking ahead to his eternal reward, the rewards he would receive. And that's what kept him doing these things and sacrificing. How about this one? We love this passage. His master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. I know that, um, that, 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 that anybody that's walked with the Lord any period of time has a picture in their mind of walking into heaven and meeting Jesus and Jesus saying, Well done, good and faithful servant. But look what it says. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. And the idea of that second phrase there, you have been faithful with a few things. Because you have done this, I will reward you or give to you according to what you did, which is putting you in charge of many things in eternity. It's okay to be aware of rewards because they are biblical. It is a biblical principle. Okay? But I want to remind us all this. You know what the greatest reward is? God alone is the greatest reward. Not that crown, not whatever else you think. Um, I guess you could say that, hearing that, but actually in that statement, well done, good and faithful servant, is a great reward of God himself. The greatest reward that we could ever receive is being able to be with God throughout eternity. The Bible tells us that the rewards you give us, crowns and recognition, we will actually do what with them? cast them at his feet regularly because we recognize what? That the only reason we were able to do anything that was worthy of reward was because of what he did in us. 
And it's interesting what he tells Abraham. I don't have it written down. Sorry, I'll read it to you. This is what he told Abraham. It's one of the first big covenants he makes. You know, the covenants all the way through the Bible. The, probably the biggest, one of the, the first, and it was a big one because it's, it's starting to speak of what Jesus is going to be. He says, I am your shield, Abraham, your very great reward. He's telling Abraham, I'm laying these things out here. If you'll do this, then I will do this. But I want to remind you in the midst of that, all these blessings that are come, but I am your very great reward. And I ask you the question this morning, is God himself, his presence, being with him, is that your very great reward? Is that enough of a reward for you? If we do things to be appreciated, just look here for a second. I want to read to you again what Matthew, what Jesus said at the beginning. Is over. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. Let me read this again. Jesus said, the overarching principle. Be careful not to practice your righteous acts in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. If you and I do things to be appreciated, to be recognized, to be seen, to be spoken highly of, to be thought well of, to draw attention, that reward that we receive will be those opinions of men around us. And Jesus says very clearly, if that's what we do, and why we do it, to be recognized by men for whatever we want to put, however we want to dress that thing up, there will be no reward from our Heavenly Father in Heaven for that thing. Even if it was done and it affected people's lives, if our motivation is anything other than to do it for God, to be seen by Him, there is no reward for it. That's a sobering statement. It's actually one that should make us think an awful lot and drive us back to God for his evaluation of what's in our heart and his direction of what's in our heart and to give us how to work through these things. Jesus goes on and adds more to this. Now what he's actually going to give, he gives the overarching principle, then he gives one example. One example, and I encourage you not to leave it with that one example, even though Jesus doesn't add a lot to it. He says, so, after he said that, so when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your, hand know, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. He's using one example of doing something in front of others that was going on at the time. And it had to do with giving money to the poor. Unfortunately, a lot of times, the way a lot of translations and a lot of these passages read, it's all so swarmed in together that we never think that there's more to it than just what we do with our money and giving it to the poor. You go back to the beginning, he says, don't do your righteous acts. One of those righteous acts is giving money to the poor that are in need, but it's broader. It's anything that you do, even giving your time to your neighbor. Is, is a righteous act. And it says this, that if you do it, he, said, he, he was very specific, if you do that to be recognized, there is no reward in heaven.
now we get down to the, the crux of the whole thing in the end. We've talked about the danger, talked about those things. So how in the world do we do? We, started exa- we end exactly where we started. We must seek God, and we need to have Him show us what's in our heart regularly on a regular basis. Because if we leave it to just trusting our own heart, we will put a noble spin on something that is really just selfishness in disguise. People all over the world are able to do good deeds for others. It happens all the time. And I give you examples. Standing up with a big check, I just gave millions of dollars or a million dollars or hundreds of thousands of dollars for a great cause and everybody applauds that. You don't have to be a Christian to do that. But how many people would actually give a lot of money or a total, truly sacrificial gift and nobody ever sees it? Hmm, That changes a little bit. You and I need to be led by the Holy Spirit to take what God has given us and give it to others. Freely you have received, freely give. And that's not just money. That's anything that God has given you. Grace, mercy, He's given it to you, freely give it away. How about this? Do things as you are moved by God and led by the Holy Spirit and then forget about them. In my readings this week, don't keep score in your head. Don't keep score in your head. I did this and this and this for God, so he's got to be happy with me. Or I did this and this and this, and people are going to recognize that. The best thing we can do is be obedient to what God shows us in the moment, and then forget about it and move on. Have such love for God that we don't have any time to think about ourselves. That we're so much thinking about God and what he's asking us to do that we're not thinking about what the result might be and what I might get out of it. We're done with the first one, then we're seeking again, what's the next thing, God, you have for me to do? So busy thinking about God and loving him that we don't have time to think about ourselves. You and I will never get rid of self or selfishness by concentrating on self. Let me say it again. You and I will never get rid of self and being driven by self and selfishness by thinking about ourselves. The only hope is to be so consumed by the love of God that we don't have time to think about ourselves. And that's something you might have to chew on because human beings spend almost all their time thinking about themselves. Jesus came to rescue us from that. So we're thinking about God and his plan and the things that he wants to do. So I want to encourage you, go and do good for others. Meet their needs. Pour your life out for others, because that's why you were made. Let me say it again. Go and do good things for others. Pour your life out, all of your resources, even sacrificially, beyond to bless people, to meet their needs, whatever they may be, because that's what you were made for. In Ephesians Mixing this in Matthew 6. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Do you want to know what you were built for? Do you know what you were meant to do? Do you know what the intention was when God redeemed you from your sin and helped you to walk with him? to do good works. And what were those good works? The righteous acts that we began with this morning, 
to do things for other people that bless them, that help them, that meet their needs. And those needs are myriads, spiritual, physical, all the way through that. And God prepared them. There's a whole bunch of righteous acts that he placed you exactly where you are today with a sphere of influence and people around you and neighbors and co-workers and family members and the places that you do business and the places you go. He placed you there to do things to bless those people. That's what he built you for. That's what he made you for. And your father, who sees what you do in secret that nobody else is seeing, that you aren't looking for, or that you, actually that you've forgotten about, he will reward you. Let's close in prayer with that. Heavenly Father, we just thank you this morning. There's a lot in what we just said. And Lord, I pray again as we started, I pray that you would prick our hearts, that you would bring conviction upon us, that you would show us what our hearts are, that you would no longer allow us to dress up selfishness and and self-gratification by having other people recognize what we do. And Lord, help us to remember that you don't need our creative marketing ploys to further the cause of Christ. There are ideas that you will give us, but they need to come from you. And Lord, help us to be so obedient to you and so in love with you that we just do what you say to bless others and literally give us short memories to forget the things that we've done because we're so quick to move on to the next thing you have for us. Help us to recognize that you have created us for good works. That you've created them from the beginning of time, before we even existed, before the world even existed, for us to do those things in this day, in this hour, to point people to you and to meet those needs. Lord, I pray that you would teach us not to trust our hearts, but to take your warning to be careful in these things. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, as the worship team closes, I just want to let folks know that there are people available to pray with you. If you have something that, as you sought your heart and God revealed to you something that maybe was out of place or, or maybe he was pointing something to you, if you want to just talk with somebody about that, somebody would pray with you and support you in that. Also, I want to just put out there that um, if you're here today and you haven't ever even considered what it means to have faith in Christ, I would encourage you that the Bible presents to us a God who loves and who rescues people from this world, which last week I stressed quite a bit. The world's pattern is death and destruction and despair and struggle and trial. And God has set in place a plan to rescue us from that through Jesus. And so if you haven't ever heard that, I would encourage you to um, consider asking somebody about that, okay? And, and um, I'll step out of the way. Thank you.